Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Common Kaisers. I'm your host, Chris Eden, and joining me, as always, is... Arian Hinojosa. What's up, guys? feel like oh such my. a radio DJ talking <laughs> this... You gotta, you gotta find I, your I feel voice. like you gotta... this could be like a morning. Well, my eventually my time, we'll get there. Yeah, well, my time with you know doing I've been doing this for like ten, actually twelve goddamn years. No, we get it. We years. get it. You have a golden throat. Yes. Well, no, it Jesus. took me time to learn too. Like even when we started in the early days of the Realmcast, I was it was a lot of like uh, morning. Hi everyone, welcome. You know, with Realm Gas time. And then, you know, <laughs> my buddy would chime in. He's like, dude, up the goddamn tempo. And it, it did help because eventually, like, I would listen because there wasn't a ton of podcasts at the time. So it was either Kevin Smith or it was Adam Carolla. And then Kyle from the Kaiju Cast started doing it. And I started paying attention to how he did it. And even he started off a little, little like, how's it going, everyone? And then eventually he got the, what do you call the DJ voice? Like, how's it going? And like, I'm like, okay, that's that's the up tempo, and the feedback I always got from people are like, yeah, you don't sound like you're bored, and that's that's one of the things I found with people listening to podcasts. They're like, it's an interesting subject, but man, the person talking just, I'm like, you don't want to be a, um, uh, uh, you don't want to sound like a documentarian or anything like that. You want to have a little upbeat, little a little liveliness, a little a little chutzpah, if you will. And man, I got chutzpah for today's episode. Oh, are in such sweet cinema are we going to be talking about Ooh. today? <laughs> so, so let me let me start yeah. off this this episode with let me start off this episode with saying there are movies where you say when you think of '80s action movies, mm-hmm. you think of uh, you know what's a, what's a good '80s action '80s action star. Uh, you got Charles uh, Bronson. You got Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Oh, but, definitely. The canon films. Exactly. Exactly. That's. But mm. the 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 name Pierre Kirby never gets brought into that to that conversation. And listeners, I think today we are here to celebrate the actor slash. Boat salesman that is Pierre Kirby with today's movie. Chris, what is it? Today we are talking about a Hong Kong classic that for the longest time was almost like a bit of lost media. Uh, we are talking about Thunder of Gigantic Serpent. Yes, that is the proper name of this title. Not Thunder of a Gigantic Serpent or anything. Thunder of Gigantic Serpent. And this comes from... Hong Kong schlockmaster Godfrey Ho, who is known for directing over 100 movies, but there's an asterisk next to that because what he essentially did was pull a Power Rangers, the American version, with a lot of these things, where he would take stuff already established and then shoot new things and shove them in. Not unlike the original Godzilla movie, but at least that one was done with like some care and effort to match what the hell was going on and even the power rangers at their points you know you know there's a couple episodes here and there where it's like man you didn't have much to work with but 
they at least worked around it. This, oh no, no, no. This, this, this is a true Frankenstein job. And you know what? This, it truly was like bacon on top of this movie's hamburger. I've only seen clips of it. I knew of its history. When Ari and I sat down uh, a couple of days ago, we're like, okay, what are we going over? And uh, you know, it's like, well, how do we, you know, that one's been talked about. I'm like, and Ari's been pushing to do a little more exploitation. And I'm always down with that. So I pitched this, and then he pitched one we're going to do in a couple of weeks, which I can't wait to do. And we, this, this is, this movie is the vibe of this show. This is exactly the stuff we want to talk about. Because this is the definition of one of those movies that's so good it's bad. I sat here, I sat up in my room, my, well, my living room. Popping this thing on YouTube because, well, that's the day and age we live in where everything's readily available. And over 90 minutes, I was entertained and gobsmacked by what I was watching unfurl before me. And this is, I mean, when you see that image of John Bonjo smoking a cigarette going, to me, this is cinema. This is the definition of what cinema is at times. Because you know why? I had a goddamn good time. Man, is this movie... But there is... Oh, there's so much to unpack here. Uh, should we just jump right on into this? I think I think the history of the movie is very interesting, where it started, okay. where it got uh, oh, cut okay. from. That's oh. very interesting. But, but I think um, if you're interested in the movie, if you enjoy this... The fun, half of the fun of this movie is finding the backstory of yes. what it was cut Which, from uh, and you... who Godfrey Ho is. And... Sure. You know what? Let's do this first because you know what? This movie is so – it's such a Frankenstein job that when we're, when we're breaking this thing down, it's going to be – so let's give the backstory. Um, yeah. So Godfrey Ho – a you know a man you know out of Hong Kong. This movie was originally. There you go. It was called uh, King of Snakes, wasn't it? The this movie was King, King of Snakes, yes. Yes. Uh, from nineteen eighty four. This movie, yes. uh, Thunder. Go ahead. Thunder of Gigantic Serpent. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is nineteen eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Eighty seven. Eighty eight. One so, of I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb. One of twelve movies he put out that year. <laughs> oh my God! Um, yeah. Just just like Raymond Burr in in Godzilla: King of the Monsters, this movie features, like I said earlier, a amazing amazing martial artist slash uh, used boat salesman by the name of Pierre Kirby, who in this movie goes by the name of Ted Fast. Oh I'm my God, not so... 100% sure. <laughs> I'm not, there's a lot of missing pieces that are not said mm-hmm. in the movie or me uh, didn't pay attention to the movie. Maybe help me out, Chris. But a little bit about Pierre Kirby. And you know what? Never mind. You, the listener, are going to have a plenty, are going to have plenty of time going down that rabbit hole. Um, but we'll give a little backstory. Go ahead. Just a go little ahead. Bit. Go ahead. No, no, no. Give it a little backstory because you seem to um, really appreciate this this gentleman. 
Oh, man. So Peter Kirby is a British man living in Hong Kong in the, in the late 80s who fancies himself a martial artist. Uh, but to make ends meet, he sells boats. And so he meets Godfrey Ho. Again, uh, the details are not 100%. But Godfrey Ho decides to put him in his movies. And then you get movies like Fender the Gigantic Serpent and other uh, wonderful cinematic masterpieces that you can find on uh, the internet. So long story short, uh, Pierre Kirby acts in a couple of movies. One day he's selling a boat to the Philippines. He loads up in Hong Kong and sails away in the sunset where he is later boarded by pirates and kicked off his ship and goes missing and is presumed dead by the year 1990. Years later, his sister from England comes over to uh, China looking for her brother and finds out that Pierre Kirby has been an actor this entire time. Pierre Kirby never told anybody about his acting career, uh, not even his own family. So to the surprise of his sister, finds loads of movies with Pierre Kirby's dubbed voice, which is not his real voice when you watch the movie. Oh, God, no. <laughs> but what is real, what is real is mm-hmm. his action. His action mm-hmm. and, his, and every his look, he's got, he, he's this Cadillac Ken doll of a man with, with some of the fastest punches, quick draws, uh, roundhouse kicks that I, I think can challenge, uh, can put a can, can challenge Jean Claude Van Damme, uh, Charles Bronson, uh, who else is good in the '80s? Steven Seagal and any of them, any of them, put them put them to put them to bed. Is that is that a pretty good backstory on Pierre Kirby? That's a great backstory. So they never found him then, right? No, because was. In 1990, he was uh, presumed dead, or the, uh, what's the word? Lost at sea. Yeah. So they they just pretty much they never found yeah. a body, never found anything. So they just ruled him. He assuming he went to Davy Jones's locker, and was eaten by crabs most assuming, likely. Yes. Uh, God, that, that it sounds like this man. It, this is ripe for like a good, good like, you know, drama movie in of itself. Yes. Okay, but this movie. Uh, let's, yes. start off, let's start off at the beginning. Uh, did you watch the the, sub, the Greek subtitles version, or did you watch the? Uh, oh, I watched the dub watch? version. I watched the dub version. The, okay. So it's uh, the first one when you okay, pull up YouTube. Awesome. It's the first one that pulls up. And from what I've been told, there's several dubs of this thing. So, which one did you view? I began with the Greek subtitled version, and mm-hmm. I found that the other one with the uh, crazy synthwave uh, <laughs> soundtrack looked a little better and sounded a little bit better. So, so you and I did one. watch. We ended up watching the same right one after. Again. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So we've watched the same one then, because again, I'm going to bring this up because it, it's so mind-boggling. So this movie opens with a storm. It looks like the opening of Godzilla vs. Mothra, the original one. Storms raging, yeah. uh, thunder, lightning, and there's a landslide. And out of this landslide comes just hundreds of snakes. Just that, and that's a the pile of snakes. Just pile, like all in this mud, and it's clearly on a miniature set. And they just shove some snakes into this mud, and then you know, 
poured water all over and probably get them to get them riled up. Smash cut to the most 80s looking villain I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a it's a generic white dude. Looks like he's in his mid 40s, you know, the receding hairline, wearing the T-shades, and he's got a revolver in his hand. And immediately you start hearing the dub. And first things first, I recognize that I, I'm like, oh my god, this is this is done by the same studio that did the later Toho Godzilla movies because I recognize like half the cast from Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla. Same slurred R's and everything like that, the Godzilla stuff like that, all that was in this. So this dude is firing cans like Marge and her friend in that episode of Simpsons. They're just you know shooting a gun, firing some cans, and. This dude's henchman comes up and says, you know, the formula is ready. And he makes the boldest, like, 80 supervillain proclamation. And he's like, as soon as I have this formula, I will control the world's food supply. And then they'll, like, they'll have to bow to me and gives this ha-ha-ha laugh. The dub makes it that much better. Like, that, this opening moment tells you exactly the movie you're gearing up to watch and from there it just hits the ground running because it for it to make sense i mean look i'll say this the movie does have a somewhat linear storyline because Uh. it does look like it doesn't it does look like a good chunk of the original movie was used for this now there's clearly a lot of the the dubbing has changed and they, I mean, they, <laughs> the dubbing does fill in cracks of like where you cannot get, um, you know, you weren't you weren't shooting new things, but you know they're they're setting things up. But you're opening with with again, just a giant. And by the way, his name's Sol, excuse me, Solomon. I couldn't think of a better bad guy name, an '80s bad guy name than this. And he's talked about like. He is, like, the death dealer throughout this entire movie. Like, Solomon's going to be mad. Solomon wants him, like, all this stuff. It, again, it's... Just, I'm watching, I'm like, you know what, there's... This guy got paid. Guy only knows if he's a real actor. But that's the beauty about dubbing. It doesn't matter how crappy you are. Because the dubbing will... will, will they'll, they'll just It's like putting icing on a cake. The cake will look like crap underneath. But you're never going to know because that icing made it look great. So from there, we jump, apropos of nothing, into a bedroom of a young girl who, depending on the dub you're watching, is either named Tintin or Tinting. And we soon find out that, you know, she's the kind of the, the star of this movie. Because, again, the trailer sells you this is an action-packed, like, violent movie. None of this, n- no name, n- no pointing out of this girl. And she she's sitting on her bed, and out of nowhere, a snake pops up. And, you know, she's one of those, you know, rough-and-tumble girls that she's like, I'm not afraid of you. In fact, you're kind of cool. And she sits there trying to give a name to this thing. She gives off a couple of names, I think Fluffy and Charlie. And she ends up on a name that, again, the dub really doesn't make it clear. I believe it's called uh, Moslaw. Or Mosler. Masla is what I got. Masla. But Mosler's let me, let me, let me yeah. 
Yes, but let me make this clear. There is no connection between the opening pile of snakes and this mm -hmm. girl having a snake. No nope. connection. Nope. Just want to make that clear. Just clear because you got to open on something. You got to open on something catchy. By the way, no opening credits either. Just right into the movie. It doesn't even give you a damn. Like this is the movie you're watching. Like it just goes right on in. So this girl gives this, you know, spouts off this name, and it's a. They have like a live snake in this girl's bed, and as she's talking to it, they get shots of the snake. Like it understands this girl. So when she gives it the name, the snake oh almost God. gives gives like a knowing nod, like, yeah, yeah, I like that. And by the way, the dub makes this girl sound like the the dumbest, brattiest child you'll ever come by. Like this this is as cliche as you can get. Like again, at times it feels like this was made for like a drive in audience when I know for a fact like drive ins were not a thing then. This is just like all right, let's do a take. The, the VO artist did a take. All right, that's good. Moving on to the next one. Like, they had, like, three hours in the booth, and that was it. So, this girl adopts the snake. Now, smash cut. We're in some sort of laboratory. And there's a there's a group of, you know, science-looking folks who are working on this thing called the formula. The aforementioned the formula that Solomon was after. And apparently this formula... Which isn't really a formula. It's a it's it's a box. It's a it's like a plasticine box. Uh, like a, yeah, like a like a plastic chest with yes. some uh, radio parts inside of it. Yes, and apparently this thing is going. It can enlarge pretty much any organic matter that you put into it. So the idea is, you put a uh, you can put a tomato in there. It'll make it grow big. You can put, you know, a carrot in there and you make it grow bigger. And the idea is that they're going to solve world hunger with this thing. They're always trying to solve world hunger. That's, that's you know, the, the shot of any, like, in, any scientist in these movies. So in order to test it, instead of testing it on a vegetable or any sort of these things, they throw a frog into this thing. They crank this, this some bitch up and... There's a bunch of flashes, and people are kind of, you know, they get a shot of the of the scientist watching, and then, you know, cuts back. And this little frog is now this gigantic frog puppet that fits perfectly in the box. So the thing is like the size of a, of a chihuahua now. And they're like, yes, congratulations, yes, this is great. Meanwhile, the, the scientist, though, makes mention that he knows that, like, scrupulous, you know, scrupulous, scrupulous individuals are after this thing. He's like, I will not have it used for evil. And it's from there, a bunch of soldiers just kind of storm whatever this compound is that they're at. And we're they're, told that... They're more like, uh, they're more like uh, your uncles who've been hanging out in your backyard who've had a little too much to drink mm -hmm. and they have guns. So and, many guns. And when you look at the guns, you look at them and you're like, what is, what is that? Like, what kind of, they look like uh, <laughs> someone spray painted a super soaker. But I think yeah. Well, they come in guns blazing, and again, pure '80s magic. 
because they just start opening fire. Now these are like I'm I'm assuming they just had real guns and they put blanks in them, but they do the, they do that trick where we had maybe ten blanks for the shot, so you get a close up of the barrel every time. Just seeing the blanks come out of it, and then they reuse that scene over and over again. No blood either. The people that you know, the people that are getting shot down. They do the it's the what I call the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly death, where they they grab themselves and they go ah, and then they fall over. <laughs> but the guns are so damn loud that it's just like what like there should be like a million bullet holes everywhere. None of it, none of it's there. And there's just bodies, bloodless bodies laying around. It's it's a bloodless coup. I want to know where these magic guns, you know, because anybody would want would ask for these things because they leave no trace whatsoever. Kind of like a lightsaber. So they break in, they shoot uh, pretty much all the scientists except for this one girl who gets away. She she grabs the formula, as I say, with quotation marks, which is just the box. And she skedaddles out of there while the soldiers, you know, give chase. So she's running. Uh, pretty much, you know, they're they're on her tail. And she says out loud, I will dump it over here so that way they can't find it. And she tosses this experimental growth machine over, like, a 50-foot ravine. And it just goes down. I'm like, I, 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 I don't... I don't know if this thing is exactly built like it's a uh, like a phone case, but uh, I'm not sure that that thing technically would survive a fall like that. No matter, doesn't doesn't matter. That's that's neither here nor there, because we're not worried about such uh, such little things. Well, uh, she uh, pretty much gets away. The goons pull up. They. Uh, Oh, actually, you know what? I completely forgot. She got away in a car. She ditches the car, or she got caught, ditches the car, then ditches this thing. And the car just explodes for no reason, by the way. Again, stuff like this just happening left and freaking right. Um, she's left uh, uh, pretty much, you know, she, she gets injured in this explosion. And pretty much nothing after that. We cut to uh, Teen Teen. With some friends, as I say, there are two boys who keep bullying her because she's a girl. She can't do, you know, boy things. And so she's like, I'll show you, you know, you butt munches. And she goes exploring. And lo and behold, all right, what does she find? She finds a box. Yes. She finds, well, the formula. The formula box. And what is her first, uh, her, her first... Out loud thought. There's a lot of people thinking out loud in this movie. I can put uh, Masla in here, my pet snake. Yep, and that's exactly what she does. Picks it up, takes it home, sneaks it in past her parents, puts it in her room, and she dumps her snake in there while she's gearing up to practice homework or some nonsense. I forgot the line they gave her. So she puts the snake in there. And the machine goes off because apparently it just senses everything and anything they put in there. By the way, not hooked up to any of the other crap that it was hooked up to in the lab because it's just the box now. And the snake gets zapped by this thing. So it goes from like a regular garden snake. Like it's just just a tiny little, hmm, excuse me, little snake. 
gets zapped, hops out, and it looks like a damn anaconda, but it's now a puppet. And this is the most glorious puppet I have ever seen in a schlocky movie in my entire life. This thing, immediately, it's got these big, dopey eyes. It is clearly, in the close-up shots, some dude's hand in a pup in a in a in a puppet. So the main shot you see is like some strings, and this thing is just bouncing around like like you know like in the old games when you would put your controller down and the game would just stay there and the character would start doing little animation things like hey you know we yeah. doing anything? That's what this thing's doing just to kind of look like it's it's alive. It's just kind of like bopping around. Ting Ting is at first like ah. A giant snake. And then she realizes, oh, it's my snake. You got big. And the snake is almost, it's, it, it under, like, the fact that the little snake understood her was one thing. Now this big snake, she has some sort of psychic bond with this thing. It completely understands English. No problem whatsoever. And, you know, she asks it questions. She's like, it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, I'm big now. But you know what? I'm going to eat you because I go against everything that any snake ever does. So <laughs> she's like, well, oh, I can't keep you here. Oh, hold on. Yeah. This is, understand that this snake is, uh, how, if Ting Ting is four, let's say four or six. Yeah. Then this snake has to be 12 feet long. No. 16 feet long at least yes and it is made out of uh it's like a really long body pillow that's with the head attached to it <laughs> for the that wide anytime shots they do give you yeah for anytime ting ting talks to it it just kind of open mouth just uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. kind of like obeys it like a dog and, yeah and this is this part of the movie is is beautiful the, the the scene there was a scene where the, uh, the the kids were pulling Ting Ting, and now I don't know what they're doing, but they're skiing in in they're dirt. On, what do you call that? I don't know, but they're on these skis that are like treads. They 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 look like yeah. tank treads, and they're like, and they have this, like ski like uh, like ski sticks that they're going downhill with, and they're having a race. And now the snake is helping her. It's it's slapping all of her all of her friends away just so she can win the race, and then stick it to their to their face that, that they're losing to a girl. Yeah. Go By ahead. the way, neither kid notices a a sixteen foot snake ever. Well, they try to explain that because it's hiding behind a hill, but somehow its tail is long enough and fast enough they can slap these two, you know, little little bastard upside the head and they never once turn around to see what what and like what the hell was that? Like, no, no. And the snake does like the it, it crouches like it knows it's being watched. Like so it's being coy. And every time they show it over the hill, it's the tail that's just kind of hanging out and it's flopping around, kind of like a dog's tail. And then like the head portion. Like the you get like maybe like as long as the puppeteer's hand is, and that's about it. And it, at times it just kind of lays there, and then at other times it's like nodding its head up and down like, I did good. You know what? I showed those little punks who's what. 
you're like, what in God's name is going on here? Like, the fact that, let's remember, this was an actual film at one point. Like, this was a, had a proper beginning, middle, and end. Someone made this. So, this wasn't anything Godfrey did, because he didn't have the money to make a puppet's name. This was all done by someone else. So, someone thought, this was a great idea. But because it's in this scenario, with the with the fantastic, oh, it just makes it that much sweeter. So we pretty much get a gigantic montage. This thing felt like this movie's only 91 minutes, but this section felt like it went on for 30, didn't it? Yeah, it. You know, it's like the uh, the Benny Hill of the movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know hijinks here and there and. And uh, they were having fun. It's it's it's, it's cute, she, you know. She goes fishing. The snake. At That's all true. times, the yeah. snake is like hiding behind a tree. Like they wrap they they wrap on the puppet. That again, as you said, looks like pillows shoved into segments. And the snake just kind of hangs out from behind. It's always shot from behind something. So the snake is like, ah, yeah. And she catches a bunch of fish. Because at least this girl has the wherewithal to realize this thing is a carnivore. So to prevent it from eating all the neighborhoods, you know, pets and anything and possibly people, I'm going to go rack up a bunch of fish and feed him. And while that's going on, the entire time, the entire time that's happening, the cure is playing in the background. It's just a new order. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the other thing. The, The weird soundtrack notes in parts of these in parts of this movie, like it's in there was a point I thought, like, did someone add like a like was this someone else's like tweaking with it no it's in the movie um yeah there's clearly like copyrighted music that's being thrown in here that i know for a fact they did not get any clearance from and this one whole segment because again the girl's talking you hear nothing you don't even like there's no dot there's no there's there's not even any foley and you're getting shots of like you know the just long shots of the girl and the snake just kind of hanging out and this music playing and that and then the scene will like a new section of the scene will start and it'll go about three beats and then the music will just abruptly cut off and then she'll be in the middle of like mid-sentence of something else so they recorded the damn dialogue and then duh and then overlaid all this music and then cut off some of the dialogue that they that they had paid money to record so and she's like i got a ball you want to play and her and the snake play like a game of volleyball with each other. And this is one of the few times you get to see like the snake, like in full, like form. Like there's like a a weird blue screen shot of her throwing the ball. The ball's clearly like blue screened on there too. And the snake is like sitting in a way a snake would never never would. It's literally the whole puppet just laid out, and the snake is like bouncing the ball back and forth. They're volleying back and forth. Just having a good old time. Because that is what this movie is all about. We're just having a great, great time. So, uh, we smash cut to, like, them hanging out. And there's this dude spying on them. Because they're looking for the... They're, it's, apparently it's Solomon's goons. And they're looking for the box. And they see the snake. And they realize, oh, man... The uh, this thing must be um, the, you know it's got to be from 
you know, the box, the, the, the formula. And uh, while this is going on, the two, this girl and her snake, decide to play hide-and-seek because the snake knows the rules of playing hide-and-go-seek. Like, she's like, I'm going to go hide, you go find me. And, like, again... Like most people already know how to play hide-and-seek. Of course yes. you're going to play with her. Yes. So she hides in this weird abandoned building that's, like, on, the, like, the beachfront. And the snake's just, like, around the corner looking, and she's, like, going... Like, again, there was, like, whatever the direction was at this time, it's, like, just wander around. Like, we're just, you know, we just got to get a shot of you and the snake in, in the scene. Well, a storm hits. And lightning strikes a tree, and she's inside this shack. The snake is outside. And whatever is in this shack, someone was, like, keeping barrels of lighter fluid, kerosene, gasoline. Like, it, 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 again, it's, like, out of a Looney Tunes bit, like, when Wile E. Coyote, like, lights the match. And he's in like a like a hole filled with like TNT in the background. Whatever the hell was in this in the shack, it made it made it look like it was that 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 uh, port uh, warehouse in Beirut that exploded. I'm like, who in God's name? Like, oh, there's clearly no OSHA regulations going on here. So it starts let, raining. Let me remind you. Like, hold on. Let yeah. me remind you that this happens before it even starts raining. It is the sunniest day. It is mm-hmm. June fourteenth, mm-hmm. in the middle of, of there is no not a cloud in the sky, and and then it gets hit by lightning. But oh, yeah, like a hurricane this. rolls in out of nowhere, and I I know Hong Kong is yeah. like I know Hong Kong's like a little island, you know, in the middle of the China Sea. But I'm pretty sure their weather patterns are pretty are pretty stout out there. Like they're you're not just going to get random. They're not like in the tropical setting. They're not just getting a random storm popping out of nowhere. So lightning strikes this tree. It catches it on fire. The tree falls into this shack that this girl's in. The tree is now on fire. Lights the shack on fire. The girl is caught by the hundreds of burnt of you know oily rags that are now catching fire in here. And she's screaming for the snake to come save her. What happens next is the snake dives into the into the burning shack like it's Lassie. And then the next shot you see is the shack exploding. And as it explodes, the snake oh with this girl <laughs> coiled up jumps out of the exploding shack. Like, it's... it's like, Nicolas Cage could not walk away from an explosion like this. You're sitting there, and by the way, it's all a miniature, and the it's a, it's clearly a puppet snake with, like, a little puppet girl wrapped around this thing, and it just shoots out, like, they, they, they loaded it into, like, an air gun, like, like they shoot the t-shirts at, at, like, you know, monster truck events, and this thing just goes flying out as this entire shack bursts into a fiery explosion. And the next thing we see, girl's perfectly fine. The snake, she's like, thank you. And the snake's like, yeah, no problem. So apparently the snake now has, you know, superhuman abilities along with being overtly large, including able to resist fire and leap at least, they had to have leapt at least 90 feet in order to get away from this explosion. It's the greatest shot. I sat there, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? But... 
this is the point where I got so lured into this. I'm like, okay, this is bad, but I am having such a damn good time with this. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm all in on this nonsense. So while that's all happening, we cut back to Solomon's, you know, his goon. Or actually, no, we cut back to Solomon himself. Like, it's another shot. And he ain't happy that his goons have failed. So he is sending his number one henchman, Billy. And he's a he's a terrorist. He's a mastermind. He's great at what he does. And his name is Billy. Now, this is the real villain of the movie that I'm assuming that this movie was cut from. Because at no point do Solomon and this dude ever share any screen time whatsoever. So now we have a new dude who's subcontracted from the main bad dude to go actually go and do the work of the goons that could not get anything done. And uh, we are told that, Solomon is told that, you know what, we got Billy, but you know what, the, 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 the police and Interpol, they're on to us. And they've sent someone to stop us. And this Hell is... Hell yeah. Oh, I, I'm going to let you do the. I'm going to let you do the honors of introducing, arguably, the best moment of this movie. Who are we introduced to? We're introduced to another, none other than Ted Fast, played by the late Pierre Kirby. This guy is. If they made Mortal Kombat in the '80s, this guy is Johnny Cage. Yes. Uh, he is. I found out very quickly in the movie that. Every every member of the military wears a, uh, a beret, a red beret, with a certain mm. logo on it, and we'll get to that in a second. But not not uh, uh, Ted. He wears his on the side. <laughs> like Guile. And, and we'll like get into Gile that. Yes. Yes. And we're told Ted Fast is the best of the best. He's a he is a he's a stone cold killer, and he and he works alone. Which Solomon remarks. If he works alone, he's got to be good. <laughs> because that is the sign of you are a one-man army. If you work alone, you don't have you have no backup. Like you're that good. So he's like, we got to watch out for this Ted Fast character. Being good is an understatement. This guy's a legend. <laughs> well, after this whole setup, we are introduced to Ted Fast, and how we're introduced to him is a wide shot as he's walking under a bridge, like out of nowhere. Don't even know where the hell he is. He's just walking under a bridge. And on said bridge, this minivan pulls up with these two dudes that look like goons out of a freaking direct-to-video Seagal movie. Like, they are as, as you know, the skeezy white dudes as you can get. And they both got, uh, like, little mini machine guns on them. And they notice, oh, hey... In that ravine down there, that's Ted Fast. That's the guy we got to kill. They just start opening fire, and we get to see the badassery of Ted Fast. Like, without, without any hesitation, he does like a barrel roll, rolls, opens fire, has his own gun, opens fire, kills one of the dudes dead to rights on the bridge, falls off. The other guy comes down. And we get this little battle between the two where he kicks the living crap out of this guy. 
and then solemnly executes him right there without breaking a sweat. And you're like, get the F out of here. This is amazing. And now we have Ted Fast in in this movie because he's fast. Let me tell you exactly. He comes in and out of the movie really quickly. But let me tell you that this... These guys in the van have nothing to do with Billy or <laughs> Ting Ting or nope. no, they don't even wear the same clothes. They're just nope. completely. I'll even, I'll even go one further. The, the 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 film that's on one side of the movie it, it goes from shot on film to shot on video mm-hmm. without you know no no attempt to hide it. No no attempt. And they also play, like, again, every time they show him on screen, like, there's weird 80s synth music that's, like, being piped over it. Like, half that fight, like, this is the point I thought, like, the movie, like, is there something wrong with this? Like, did they, did someone put something on here so they could avoid copyright, you know, like, the algorithm or something? No, this is all part of it. You get no sound whatsoever. Is this the part of the movie movie where Ted Fast uh, shoots some guy upside down on the floor? Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to show how damn good he is. Just how damn good he is. This scene comes and it goes. Because right after this we smash cut to the to the to the girl scientist that survived. She wakes up in a hospital and there's a bunch of military dudes over her and they're asking her about, you know, the formula. She's like, I, I don't remember anything. And at this point, we are introduced to yet another character who is the real hero of the actual movie, Inspector Chow. And he is, you know, he's Hong Kong, you know, police. And the military is like, hey, this is a military matter. He's like, uh-uh, this happened on, uh, on, in, our, in our district, so we have just as much say in this case as, you know, as anyone else. But he's not aware of the formula. He's aware of some, uh, like, some terrorist or, you know, shenanigans are going on so they uh they you know she he's trying to um he's trying to get like some information out of her when what is that more goons show up because they need they need to find out where where this poor girl threw the box and another shootout ensues is this the part where they where they meet her in her apartment we're, that's right so we, they okay yeah because this is again hold on so she gets this out is the scene. this yeah. is the scene hold on mm-hmm. she goes to her apartment four dudes each stand up one at a time in her apartment <laughs> and in the middle in the middle is billy it's, yes is this the introduction the, the main introduction to billy yes which by the way we're never shown him before like this is the first time we really get to see him this scene is you know, this interrogation. He's uh, he's like, where's the formula? Half the half the lines of this movie is either Masla or or where's the formula? Those are the yes. two things you gotta know. So he's he's interrogating this girl. What's her name? I'm sorry. Lynn. Her name is Lynn. Lynn. Thank you. Interrogating. Where's the formula? Where's the formula? In walks. I'm Detective not. Chow. Is it the inspector or is it just some random yeah. guy? No, it's the detective it's, and it's and his, his and his partner. Who, who just we haven't, happened? Yeah. They just happened to walk by her apartment. Hear what's going on and break into the front door and start a shootout with 
her inside of her own apartment. By the way, these guys also roughed her up pretty well too. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're they're there's they're they again showing how bad these these guys are. No problem roughing up a, a helpless woman. Uh, so there's a fight that goes on. You know, it, it turns into a shootout, and I'm like, oh my god, like how many? This is this is an apartment building. This is her own apartment. Like he, she doesn't even know who these guys are. It's it's all over the place. She gets she gets uh, she gets chased out. Uh, Detective uh, T, Mr. T, what's his mm. name? Detective Chow. Detective Chow uh, chases her out of the of the uh, or grabs grabs a hold of her, gets her out of the place. And well, his partner. We, his partner gets dies. gunned down. Yeah, yeah, pretty Violently. much. Finally, it's like again one of the few times you actually see blood from the guns in this movie. Uh, and at some point, at some point, we cut back to the girl. I'm positive yeah. there was no, there was no, was there? Well, no, 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 oh, no, 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 you're no, no. There, there is a scene. So Chow gets her to like a safe place. She confesses to um, to Chow what's going on, and that she was she actually turns out. She was quietly working for Solomon because Solomon, uh, you know, right. paid for her paid for school, right? Because her mom, because her mom died and her father got sick, so he paid for and her school. Dad, no, knowing full dad, well, yeah, this is like some shadow. Of a stroke. Yeah, this is like some yeah. shadow-looking stuff. Like you just recruit people. Like you might come in handy one day. And again, does right. make a, a lick of sense, like. The way she just explains, like, okay, so you were pro, you were a know nothing college girl. This this creepy Caucasian guy approaches you and it's like, I'll pay for everything, but you're gonna have to get me this thing you have not invented yet, which you'll be inventing with three other people. That's that that is the thing. <laughs> and we cut. Now we get back. Uh, we get back to Ting Ting's house. And there, the army's there. So this general, the general that was in, um, you know, in Lin's room originally, he's at the, he's at Ting Ting's house, uh, you know, giving the parents, you know, the one over, asking if they know anything about a formula. And they're like, I, wait, what? What do you, what the hell are you talking about? And uh, Ting Ting overhears all this, and she realizes, oh man, like this is not going to be good. So. Uh, she tries to get rid of the box. Her mom and dad catch her. Oh no, her mom and dad go out to their shed, which I don't know what these people do, but they have this storage shed that looks like they run a restaurant or something, because there's just gigantic barrels of what looks like maybe like oil and like other supplies neatly packed up, like much different from the shanty she was in that exploded. But still, you're like what the hell do these people do that they need this gigantic tough shed outside that looks like it's at least 900 square feet, by the way. Like, it's, I mean, because it's clearly a soundstage, but it's been dressed up. They go out there, and they find the snake. And the dad freaks out and tries to kill the snake. Ting Ting comes out and says, no, he's my friend, he's my friend. And, you know, she gets the snake. She's like, look, he's my friend. And the snake's like, yeah, I'm cool. Don't, you know, hey, we're all cool here. Like, the snake is, like, agreeing with her. And the parents are like, no, it's a big, dangerous animal. I'm like, you're ignoring the fact that this snake, this reptile, not only understands your daughter, 
but is replying to her. And it's it's this completely bonker scene. So, uh, the, again, absolutely no no sense whatsoever. Billy and his goons find out where she lives. They show up to the house. They work over the parents because it, you know they chased off the snake for a second. He got out of there. He's like, oh, I'm I'm just avoiding this. So as they're roughing up the parents, they find Ting Ting, manage to grab her, and then one of I think at least 150 screams of Mazlov goes off. The snake shows up and starts laying waste to Solomon's goons, which they shoot this thing by the way, and it's apparently bulletproof. So I don't know if they really figured out the formula makes whatever thing they put in there like impenetrable, but that kind of sounds like that's a fatal flaw if you're trying to feed people when you got to chop up something and ingest it. So the snake is now omnipotent, and it just lays waste to these goons. And you're, it's the puppet, like, it's a big fake snake tail just smashing guys left and right. They're, they're you know, they're doing the, the stuntman thing where they're going into boxes. They're falling over. They're, you know, it's just shots of, like, a tail, like, whipping into the, into the screen. Guys are flipping around. And the dudes realize we are out of our... Uh, like, we're, we're out of our, uh... Element? Like, yeah, we're way out of our element. So, they realize, okay, we gotta deal with this snake. So, they set up a trap. And the trap is like this electrified fence. And they got the girl, and they use the girl oh, no. to lure the snake out. And so, she's screaming for the snake. And the snake comes in, approaches the uh, the trap... And she's screaming, like, no, no. And the snake, again, one of the few times the snake actually just doesn't listen, goes into the trap, and the 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 the, the hitman, like, yes, we got it. Now, set off the trap. Again, again, the dubbing is just, Mwah. The trap is set. The snake gets caught. They try to fire a few rounds into the snake. Doesn't do anything. They set off the trap, and it's electrified. The, ele- the electricity somehow makes the snake grow even bigger. And now this damn thing is the size of like Reptilicus. It's like it's massive. Now it's like 130 feet long and it's big enough that like Yeah. It, now we're in the Kaiju the, movie. Oh yes, now we've officially entered the Kaiju part of this movie. By the way, the consistency of the size of the snake is never set. One At one point, it's like maybe like 20 foot tall. Like it's enough that the girl gets on it, this thing's back and like she can sit on it like a horse. And then there's other shots of it where it's like over like a mountain. Like and it's gigantic. Like it's as big as Godzilla. So it does not... <laughs> it makes no sense. So... The plot is not over, so now the snake's big, and Solomon's got some. He has backup just in case of this sort of thing, because the man thinks of everything. Billy calls in a plane. It's a Cessna. Oh my god! Has submachine gun turrets propped up on it, like it's a like it's a like a um like a P fifty one Mustang out of World War Two, and now the snake. Magically went from being on the beach to now we're like in the hillside and this plane 
this model plane is now strafing the crap out of this snake. And the snake, which, by the way, now roars because, it, you know, it has to because it's giant. So it doesn't make, like, cute little sounds. It roars. Doesn't It really doesn't affect the snake that much. The snake just seems more annoyed. And it just, it's bobbing its head up and down because that's apparently all that the, that the wired puppet can do. And this thing, this plane comes around two or three times and, you know, keeps strafing. Which, by the way, um, pretty great for a Cessna. Like, if you can get a Cessna to maneuver like this, man, you are one hell of a pilot. And that's one hell of a, a single-engine prop plane. Mm. So the snake manages to take out the plane. And that's it. The plane lands in a fiery crash. Gang, you know, the hitman realize, okay, our number's up. So they take the girl, they get in a car, and they start bolting. And the whole time, this girl is screaming the snake's name. And the guy's like, just, he's like, shut up. Like, the snake can't hear you. Oh, contraire, the snake can hear her. Because now, apparently, because of his gigantic size, his ears can also pick up sounds from, like, 50 to 100 miles away. And it can hone in on this, on this little girl. <laughs> so, now, we cut back to Ted Fast. And apparently, All right. Ted Fast. Yeah, Ted Fast. Remember him? He just he, he murdered some random dudes. Yep. He's sitting in an office, apparently somewhere in Hong Kong. So apparently the dude works alone, but he's given full amenities by the government to get his own office. And he's literally like the shot opens. He literally has like his hands, like on the table that he's the desk he's sitting behind, and then like there's a beat. And then he picks up a phone and then just puts it to his ear. The other... So we cut to the other footage that you know, he's interacting with. He calls Detective Chow. And Detective Chow is well aware of who Ted Fast is. And Ted Fast tells him, hey, the snake's gotten loose. And he's like, yes, I know, but this is a police matter. He's like, look, we both, you know, we both want the same thing. So let's share, let's share information with you. With each other. And of course, Detective Child's like, you know, Ted Fast, you're a good guy. Yeah, let's work together. We can solve this case. That's it! That's all there is! That's all there is to this scene, because we have to be reminded, Ted Fast is in this movie. So Detective Chow pretty much is like, alright, we got Ted Fast working with us. And he just, he's like, hey, the army's gonna attack the snake. Alright, that's it. So we cut, so again, this, I'll give credit to this movie, and I give credit to Godfrey Ho. There's never a boring moment in this movie, because stuff is constantly moving. Now the snake is gigantic, massive, and it is in a lake, and the girl is screaming after it. And we see the car driving over a bridge, but then we cut to the bridge, and the car is not on it. And there's a bunch of other people on this bridge. And you can hear the girl screaming, and the snake's like, I'm coming. And in doing so, it pretty much destroys this bridge and murders about, you know, 300 people that are driving on the bridge at the same time. Like, a bus gets broken in half. The people go into the drink. There's a couple of cars. There's a train. And the snake just wantonly destroys this thing because it's after the girl 
and to hell with anybody else. So now you're getting, this thing's given the military a good reason why this thing's got to be blown up. But the snake does not care. I'll give I'll give credit where credit's due. The stuff with the big snake actually does not look bad. I mean, it looks look, amazing. It look yeah. I'm sitting there I'm like. The models and everything on this are pretty damn good. Like the the giant I'd monster. Say, like, I'd say I mean, it looks in between. It's on. It looks a little better than a Ultraman episode, mm-hmm. but not quite Mighty Picking Man good. Yes, it's it's pretty solid. I don't know if it was a Japanese crew that did this. I couldn't find any information because there's actually very little information about the original movie out there because. Everyone is focused on this Opus. So, after the snake destroys the bridge, well, we gotta come back to Ted fast, and he's out there. He's out. He's he's out looking for Solomon's guys. And uh, as he's walking around, one of Solomon's men recognizes uh, Ted and decides to uh, try to make the mistake of, you know, taking Ted out. But Ted beats the crap out of this dude. Again, another... another. This scene comes out of nowhere. They're like on a mountain road. And Ted chases this dude up and down this hill. And there's this, like... Music that feels like it's from, like, you know, uh, the Dream Machine. It just... <laughs> there's no foley, no nothing. Just shots of these two dudes running and occasionally kicking each other. And then... Ted starts beating the crap out of the dude while this music is playing, and you're going, you're like, okay, sure, why not? And then the again, it does the same thing. There's a couple of beats, and Ted start Ted, I swear to God, Ted starts talking, and you can't hear anything because this this synthwave music is playing over, it. and then it just abruptly cut, cuts off mid sentence as Ted's asking, where the hell is Solomon? Which to which the guy get, you know gives up the whereabouts. So we we now again cutting. Out, Wait a minute. Nothing. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Hold on. There's, I'm pretty sure there's a little girl missing in this episode, in this movie. Yeah, there's right. a little girl missing. Yeah. But Ted what happened to that girl? In, well, she's in the uh, she's with Billy at this point. She's been right, kidnapped. right. Yeah, but. Ted Fast is more worried about Solomon. Doesn't care about the little girl. You know, he gets the information out of the guy where Solomon's at, but doesn't care about the little girl because she's with Billy. And Billy has her uh, in his hiding spot, what looks like somewhere in like a giant office building in like, you know, in central Hong Kong. And the snake now is approaching the city. And chaos is... And again, we now... This movie has run the gambit of of a movie of about a child and her pet. <clears throat> Scientific, science gone wrong, spy film, martial arts film. Now we're back to the kaiju element of it all. And pretty much, uh, we just see the military who have a who have a, a proper model built up of what looks like you know the you know, the Bay Area of Hong Kong. And they're just like, like, all right, the snake will be... Again, the dialogue makes zero sense. There is a shot in this scene when they're in the command center, which looks like someone's office. 
that they just threw a, you know a few pieces of parchment up on the uh, on on the walls to make it look. And they got this intricate unpainted model, which I always wonder when I see these kinds of things. Like, who has time to build such things for these, you know, for like any sort of like evil dictator or anything like that when they need the model ready to go? It's always ready to go. So someone's slave laboring in the back somewhere. Some nerd is building these things to scale. Otherwise, it doesn't ever work. But there's a shot of one of the general dudes. And whenever you see people making fun of Godzilla movies and the dubs, and the dubs don't match the lips whatsoever, this was the epitome of that shot. Because... This dude is talking a mile a minute, and he says all four words. Yes, we should take out the snake. That's it. And this dude is constantly like, I'm like, you couldn't think of anything else to put in this guy's mouth. But this, it's just, it's blatant. It's it, All it is is just telling the people what we already know is going on. It's not even, oh my god. I had to rewind this a few times just to see, just to make sure I saw what I saw. So the military now is like, okay, we gotta we gotta unload onto the uh, onto the snake. So now we get now we cut back to Billy. The military who are their their berets all have the Harley Davidson emblem on it. <laughs> My God. It's all it's all gorgeous. It is gorgeous. So uh, we cut to Billy in the hideout. The little girl's like huffing and puffing around. They're watching a news report. Who, by the way, the opening the it cuts away from a story to the actual snake. So they're like, whatever's going on in the stock market is more important than this, you know, three hundred foot snake that's the size of a skyscraper attacking Hong Kong. Not, not, not even a, you know, like, doesn't even matter. Ting Ting is, you know, mocking Billy. She's like, you know what? He's going to come get me. He's like, he's a snake. He doesn't even know where the hell you're at. Like, how, like the arrogance of this man. And she won't shut up to the point. I think he actually slaps her, just telling her, like, shut up. Which, again, the sign of a bad guy. You know, slap a little girl. So, while this is going on, we get a little more Ted Fast, and he's back at his desk. And he's on the phone with Inspector Chow to inform him that Billy has tinting at this particular building. How he got this information? Because Billy wasn't even at the build. Billy wasn't hadn't even arrived when Ted Fast was beating the crap out of one of Solomon's goons. But somehow, magically, got the information and gives it to Inspector Chow so he can go do the heavy lifting of saving this poor girl. Uh, which, again, continuity be damned. The second he hears this, by the way, doesn't ever question Ted Fast's, you know, information at all. Chow is already at the building, the next scene. Like, there's no, like, I was across town, you know, I managed to get across town with a giant snake as everyone's evacuating. And again, while all the, you know, as the snake is approaching... We, and it goes full kaiju. Again, some great shots here. Like the snake going down, people are running. There's actually a very good, like, um, uh, 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 mat shot 
of the snake as it's like peering between like a couple of buildings as like people are running like again credit where credit's due there's some legit great you know giant monster goofiness in this movie that you know if you love this stuff you're like okay like this is this is solid even though technically it was made in 1980 and it looks like it's made in 1960 you're not really questioning it so billy is uh pretty much getting ready to like drop this girl but he needs her to give up the location of the formula and she refuses to do it so the snake shows up to the you know to the building they're at unbeknownst to billy who does not notice the rumbling going on outside people now start fleeing this building in mass and inspector chow is now running up all the way upstairs trying to get trying to find that i don't know if he was told what room or what office he was in because at times it looks like he has no idea where the hell this girl is where the where the where billy's at but he's going from like stare as people are like running past him because the snake is now coiling around this building very manda ish like that scene in uh in destroy all monsters when he wraps around yeah. um if anything it actually looks more like the deleted scene when manda's like around the diet building and godzilla's like you know like next to him and then for some reason they get entangled and they start fighting each other which i just that's probably like oh we can do something cool and then they realize this makes absolutely no sense but whatever Chow shows shows up, finally finds Billy and the girl, as the snake is being bombarded by the military. Pay no mind the fact that there's all this chaos going outside. Um, so Billy and uh, Chow start going at each other, and they're like shooting each other. They're trying to you know hand to hand combat all this, all that good stuff. While the girl is in the background screaming for her snake. So we get some cool shots of what's going on outside. Because, you know, we've been away from the human act. We've been away from the snake action far too long. The snake now wrapped. It's not going anywhere. It's around this building. It knows the girl's in this building. But it's not really doing anything. The military comes and unloads its full might. And again, something that I don't know. It, was, it had to have been something in the original movie. Whatever missiles these jets were firing at this snake every time it hits the snake the snake lights up like it just so if you look closely at this the Mm -hmm. the close-up of the missiles firing is just a colorized version of the missiles from godzilla 1954 is it really it is oh my god oh that's even better so the snake is being unloaded on by missiles the missiles somehow every time they make contact with the snake the snake gets this dragon ball-esque aura around it like kind of like uh you know the best way it's like when kong charges up from like the electricity in king kong versus godzilla like that glow he gets around him or like when godzilla goes magnetic like just that aura around him but yeah, yeah. never explains what's going on with this snake because now it's like now it's like electrified every time it gets shot. Doesn't matter. The snake's getting bombarded and it just sits there roaring as it bobs its head up and down, occasionally whacks its tail at the uh, at the fighter jets. So we cut back into the building 
and into the room with uh, between the face-off between Billy and Spectre Chow, and he gets the he gets the one up on on uh, on uh, Inspector Chow. Billy does. He's got a gun. He kicks he kicks Inspector Chow's gun out out of the way. Well, Ting Ting takes matters into her own hand, and she grabs the gun. And as as Billy has his back to her, she runs up behind him and puts the gun to his back. Billy realizes he's got oh crap! I got a girl, a, like a nine year old girl, holding a loaded weapon to my back. Billy then grab you know, Inspector Child grabs Billy's gun, turns it on him, and it's not clear, but I'm ninety nine percent sure. What? Oh, it's it's very clear to me. Detective Chow unloads on Billy in front of Ting Ting. See, literally the, right in front yes. of him. But I also had the imper- the impression that she got a shot or two off, like before uh, Billy yeah, even. Like it was like a way, it was like a it was a Greedo moment. Gun, yes. Yeah, like she shoots him once in the back, and then the Inspector Child just unloads the clip into into Billy, thus ending him once and for all. And he's like, "Hey, good job! You did it. You know, you did pretty great." So let's move on. Yeah, let's let's get the hell out of here. Your giant snake is being bombarded by the military. Now at this point, we cut to the military, and Ting's parents have showed up, and they're like, "Why are you firing on that snake? Our daughter's in that building." No one told them any of that stuff. They just automatically know that her daughter is inside that building. So Inspector Chow now has to get out. So now it's like it's like the end of like a, a Metroid game, like. You're counting down. Like, you got to get the hell out of this building, and you got, like, three minutes. Well, first things first, Inspector Chow picks up the girl because now she's freaking out because she's worried her snake's going to get murdered, which it is. And first thing, he's like, well, we're being bombarded. There's a, you know, uh, know, 120-ton snake wrapped around the building. Let's take the elevator. (laughs) Realizing that's a dumb idea... Picks up the girl, puts her on his back, and then goes starts going down what I'm assuming is about 19 flights of stairs with this girl on his back. At points, the damage from the military and the snake become apparent as they get to the lower levels. And there's a shot. I kid you not. Flamethrowers in front of the camera lens to simulate the fact that the building is now on fire. Like they're trying to avoid it. And the girl's like, we can't make it. And Detective Chow's like, the hell we can't. There's a shot from above. And there's literally, like, you just see flames shooting out in, like, three different directions. And I, they, it looks like someone just took a blowtorch and put them in front of the camera. And you're like, you couldn't even give me, like, like a creative shot. It's like, no, there's just, like, three stagehands just... Shooting off napalm in front in front of the lens. Yep, it's the exactly greatest thing. Oh, it was so good. So they managed to get out, and the girl is screaming at Detective Chow, "Tell them to stop hurting my snake." And the detective, who has you know a modem of sense of what everything's going, is like, "You have a gigantic snake. It has killed thousands at this point, looking for you. It has to die." And she's screaming and fussing. He's like, all right, screw this. Picks her up, runs away from the building, because now the snake is now being completely hammered by the military. And we get a cool little scene of the military just offloading onto the snake to the point that 
the snake collapses the building, and it collapses oh. onto the ground. No, 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 being... no. Oh. No, 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 no. You know how they kill the snake? You know how they kill the snake, guys? The the, the pilot of, of one of these of these planes, what are they called, a jet fighter? Mm-hmm. 9-11s himself into the snake, blowing up the snake and the building. <laughs> I had, I, I had to stop that. and rewind this to make sure I, I saw what I saw. <laughs> and at that moment, at that moment, this movie stopped being a good movie and became a cinematic masterpiece. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so, like, the, the snake dies in a horrible <clears throat> burning. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it clings on to life. It's it's you know it's it's roaring its last breath tinking's mm-hmm. freaking out and and eventually the snake just dies yes and and, and tinting goes and, and and looks at the snake and says you can't die you can't and does this and, for what feels like 10 minutes yes it feels it feels a lot longer than it has to be mm-hmm. she's crying she's going she's having this melt this meltdown because not 5 minutes earlier she saw a grown man die in front of her Possibly, now, and possibly helped with his death. By the way, and possibly aided with his death. And now mm-hmm. her 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 best friend Snake Pet has just died in front of her. And mm-hmm. what do the parents? What does everybody in the scene tell her to do? Get over it. Yep. Just hey man, get over hey, it. That's it, life. It is what it is, man. It's your giant snake dies occasionally. Yeah, it it is what it is. Okay, moving on. And then we walk away. Now you would think at any point. This is where the movie would end. No. But no, no, no. We're not done yet. There is the absolute greatest PS ending I have ever seen in any film in my entire life. Because I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, what is Ted Fast going to do? We never got, we never saw what happened to Solomon. Oh, oh, no, no. That's, that's all being taken care of. Because now we cut back to Solomon. He's in a car. And Ted Fast just approaches his car like it's nothing in full regalia beret rolls up to him points a gun at him and solomon's like ted fast like i knew you'd you'd come for me they get out of the car and they we get into like a mexican standoff they both have guns on 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 them ted fast again the most 80s cliche thing what does he say Aaron? We don't need guns for this. And he tells him to make my day. Punk. <laughs> so, like men, like sporting men, they decide, yes, we don't need guns. Let's fight like men with our fists and our feet. And we get this, I don't know, like 30-second scuffle between these two, which it's all done, like... No elaborate like camera setup, you know, inner you know inner cutting like a fight scene. It is literally they set the camera down about 50 feet from where these dudes are, zoomed in, just enough to keep them in frame, and these two just start like struggling with one another. And they you know they go back and forth for a second. You know Solomon looks you know he does have you know a bit of a pedigree if, if you will about kicking ass, and. Roll does a barrel roll, 
you know, kicks kicks Ted Fast. So Ted Fast has finally met someone worthy of his of his skills. Kicks him to the ground. Pulls up the guns like I got you. What does Ted Fast do? He tosses a, his braid in. Like it's a goddamn ninja star. The beret at the at the speed this man tosses it is enough to wrap around the gun and whisk the gun out of Solomon's hand. And then Ted Fast solemnly executes this man right there. That's it. Just one shot. That's it. Dead. All right, I'm going to let you do the honors of how the, how does this movie end? He puts his beret back in his belt and walks off. Well, how does he do it? How does he do it? He does it like, like it's like it's his natural thing. It's what else can there's nothing for else to do. He just grabs it, puts it in his belt. Oh no, he doesn't. No, 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 no. The beret's on the ground. He kicks the beret. (laughs) He pulls a Van Damme move with this thing. He kicks it up into the air, grabs it out of the air, puts it back on, turns, walks away, credits. And I got up, and I'm like, are you effing kidding me right now? This was by far one of the most joyous 90 minutes I've ever had watching a movie. Because the audacity of this thing to end like that. I'm like, God damn it, bravo. You know what? Godfrey Ho knows how to how to slice and dice a movie and give you your money's worth. Like Roger Corman should be completely jealous of what this man is capable of doing. Roger Corman? How about Martin yes. Scorsese? He should be jealous of <laughs> This is the the man the man some people know is, is Godfrey Ho is not Guys, we should be talking about this 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 artisan, this auteur, this uh, visionary of a man. Uh, mm-hmm. This man did, did gave gave a gift to the world that is thunder of the gigantic of gigantic serpent. Oh my God, and this was so we are, good. We are we are just he's a benevolent man and he brings benevolent was... gifts pure cinematic schlock but it's the very best like i don't even think mystery science theater could do this movie justice because you almost don't want to make fun of it because what's unfolding in front of you is just so bonkers but you're in on it the whole time like at no at no point i'm like man this movie's bad like no no there's bad movies where you're like i'm bored like there's there's like the old 50s movies where they have like a cool monster but it's 90 percent of it's just dialogue and five minutes of monster no 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 this movie in its in its form right here, there's not two minutes that goes by where, excuse me, there's something going on, and you're like, yeah, I'm all in, I don't care. <sighs> beautiful trash, absolutely beautiful trash. Like this is a movie I'm now showing to people. Like I'm like, you have got to watch this thing. Um, yep. The fact that it eluded me for so long, but it's I'm so happy that I have seen this. Like I feel a bit wholer knowing that I have watched this thing. Like, this is this is right for, like, a midnight movie-like thing. Like, I am going to go to my art house, the, the Frida. I'm like, you guys have to show this thing. 
There's there's no way around <laughs> it. Like, I know it got released in, in the UK on a proper DVD. So someone has the rights to this thing, finally. Like, it's out there. Like, there's a clean version that you can buy on home video. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's in the UK, but you can get it. But I implore everybody, just pull up the one that's on that's on YouTube because this is this is what this show was built for. This is the movies that we are. I am so ecstatic. Like I went so long without really watching it. I've only seen clips and I've mostly just the snake, not knowing what was unfolding in front of me. Oh my god, this is so good. Ah, oh, just mwah, beautiful, beautiful garbage. So, any final thoughts? There is nothing that we can't say to convince you to see, to see this movie. Otherwise, this movie needs to be seen by you, and you need to share it with your friends, and their friends need to share it with theirs, because there is not enough people talking about Thunder of, the Gigant of Gigantic Serpent. Not uh, at all. No. It, we can talk about this movie for hours on end, but uh, we can't. We can't because we have to leave a little bit for you to go see and enjoy for yourself. Exactly. Uh, so go do that. Go do that. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap this show up because I actually got a hard out. So uh, if you like what you hear, uh, find us on uh, the Kaiju Kingdom podcast feed on Facebook, Inst uh, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the Kaiju Kingdom podcast or the Kaiju Kingdom. Um we will be at Jessica and I. I got to do a little plugging. As you hear this, we will be at G Fest Saturday. We have a big panel with the um, writer of Godzilla, Gods and Monsters, the IDW book. We'll be in Chicago for that. And then the week after that, we'll be at the San Diego Comic Con. So I hope to see all you guys there. Uh, panel we can't announce yet because Comic Con's things. So uh, when we get a little closer, we'll have that up. And uh, again, if you like what you hear on this, do check out the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. Uh, it with, shares this feed with this show. And on that note, that is going to do it for this fantastic episode of Common Kaisers. So for myself and... Arian Robot. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Good night, guys. Love you.